This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be here, talk to you, share ideas, and perhaps together go forward. Go forward in our Yiddishkeit, go forward in our knowledge of Torah, go forward in trying to fulfill our purpose here upon earth. And we do this every week, of course, by taking a look at the Parsha, trying to understand the intricacies of the Parsha, the essence of the Parsha, what it really is saying to us, and what an Erev Shabbos it is. First of all, it's Erev Shabbos Zachor. It is the Shabbos that we take out a second Torah, and we read the portion of remembering what Amalek, the archenemy of the Jewish people, did. And we have to remember that in an actual fact. And this is something which I want to emphasize again and again and again. This happens to be a Shabbos where it's absolutely imperative that each and every one comes to shul. And here's the portion of Zachor, of remembering what Amalek did to us. This is one of the direct commandments of the Torah, something that we are obliged, obligated to remember. And this is why we fulfill that particular mitzvah on Shabbos Zachor, by listening to the Torah reading from the second Torah, the story of what Amalek tried to do to us. And it's a special Shabbos, of course, because it's the Shabbos before Purim, the day of intense joy. Other, in general, is a month of great joy, but it becomes intensified as we get closer to Purim, which is the ultimate joy. Joy of Purim is something which takes us to all sorts of different levels. We begin to appreciate what, in fact, joy is. Joy in the spiritual sense of the word, not only in the obvious sense, which, of course, it is as well, but in the spiritual sense of the word, when we remember who and what we are, we behave in a particular way. We hear the Megillah being read. We'll talk about that in a little while. And it's also the Shabbos, which comes a day after, Erev Shabbos, which comes a day after the day that we commemorate both the birth and the death of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our leader, our teacher. And one doesn't understand what, in fact, it's all about. When we take a look at this week's Parsha, it's not only that Moshe's name is not present, but we have to ask ourselves why it's not present. From the birth of Moshe until the very end of, well, Devarim, um, almost every single Parsha mentions the name of Moshe. Whereas when it comes to this Parsha, the Parsha of Atatitzava, his name is not mentioned, and we have to ask ourselves why. And what is the connection between all these things? Atatitzava, the Parsha of Titzava, the Parsha that precedes Purim, the Parsha which is in close proximity to the Yortzite, the death of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Parsha that speaks about Zachor, remembering, while in fact it might appear that they are all disconnected concepts, each one being important, they are in fact very much connected. And it becomes our duty to understand what that connection is, particularly in a way that enhances our service to God, that elevates us to a level of, well, observance of faith that is demanded from us. And this is why it's a very, very special Shabbos, one that we have to take very seriously, look at the Parsha very seriously, and try to understand what the content of the Parsha really means in relationship to all these things. Last week, we read Truma. Truma speaks at large about the construction of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle in the wilderness, its precise and exact dimensions, and the various vessels 
that were built, that were contained in the house of God, each one having its purpose. The candelabrum, the menorah, the table with the showbread, the altar, etc., etc. Each one had a purpose and a great purpose, whereas this week in Tetzabah, the second Parsha, we read about the big day kehuna, the priestly garments, the priestly vestments, the clothes that the Kohanim had to wear during service, the eight clothes that were worn, the eight garments that were worn by the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, and the four that were worn by all other priests, how in order to fulfill their service correctly and properly, they had to be clothed in these particular garments. These were illustrations of what, in fact, they had to do, each one enhancing the service of the Kohen. And ultimately, of course, as we know, as the Torah tells us, all the people are not only ordinary people, but must aspire to the spirituality of Kohanim. Each and every one of us has to understand what, in fact, those garments are all about and why in such detail and why it's told to us. After all, couldn't this be contained in a little parsha that was addressed to, well, the ones who actually made these garments and the Kohanim who had to wear them? Why is it necessary for all of us to know exactly what these garments were all about, how they were made and why they were made, and what, in fact, the purpose they served as well. So it's a Parsha which is interesting from so many different perspectives, and the name of the Parsha is Titzaveh. You shall instruct, you shall command. God tells Moshe, as he normally does, go and instruct, command the Jewish people that they should do certain things. And what, in fact, does he tell them to do? That they have to provide Shemen Zais, the pure olive oil that was used both in the candelabrum, the menorah, and also to anoint the Mishkan and the vessels in the Mishkan and the Kohanim that served in the Mishkan. This is a very interesting opening sentence. Go command, instruct the Jewish people to, well, get this special oil, this special olive oil, absolutely pure, the initial drop of the purest oil that was used in the temple. What is that all about? And, of course, our, well, Kabbalistic teachers and our Hasidic masters tell us that the word Tetzava not only means connected, not only means instructor to command, but it also means to connect. And the Pesach would read, And you shall connect the Jewish people to me, that through bringing the olive oil, etc., you will accomplish this extraordinary concept of connecting the Jewish people to God. What is that all about? And this is why we have to sit back and look at the Parsha and try to understand what this Parsha is telling us. Let's start with the fact that Moshe's name is not mentioned, and the reason that it's not mentioned is because when God, well, finally became angry at the Jewish people, after time and again they behaved badly, he said, you know what, I am going to annihilate them. I am going to start a new people from you, Moshe. And Moshe turns to God and says, if that's what you're going to do, then erase me from your book. I want nothing to do with it. And once a tzaddik, a great righteous person, says something, in some way it has to be fulfilled. And this is why symbolically in this parsha his name is not mentioned in order to fulfill his request that he not be mentioned in the Torah. But why this particular parsha, and what in fact does it really mean that his name is not mentioned? And as our commentaries point out so beautifully, that even though his name is not mentioned, his presence is felt in far greater measure. 
because as you've heard me say so many times, the Torah is written in the third person, and God spoke to Moshe. It's as if we are observing from an objective distance God speaking to Moshe to tell the Jewish people it's all in the third person. Whereas this Parsha, how does it begin? And you, Moshe, is being told directly from God, first and second person, you will tell the Jewish people what they have to do in order to provide with this special type of oil that is necessary for the consecration of the temple, the consecration of the vessels in the temple, and the consecration of the kahanim, the priests as well. And of course, with the second meaning, the atatetzaveh, what you are going to do, you are going to accomplish something extraordinary. You are going to connect you, Moshe, directly, not in the third person, but directly God speaks to Moshe, first and second person. You will connect the Jewish people to me by them providing this particular oil. And this is why, even though his name is not mentioned, his presence is felt in this great measure. It's not the third person where the name is mentioned, but rather directly the Atta. And this is why, according to many commentaries, because his presence is felt in such great measure, in fact, indeed, greater than in other parashiyat of the Torah, the presence of Moshe is here very much so, and we have to understand why, in fact, in the particular way that it is. And this is why when we come to the and you shall instruct, you shall command, you shall connect, we are talking about the great quality of Moshe of leadership that he was able not only to convey the word of God to the Jewish people, but in actual fact to connect the Jewish people to God. Moshe Rabbeinu was such a dedicated leader. He was so dedicated to his people. His concern was such not only that they should fulfill the instructions precisely as God told him to tell the Jewish people, but to elevate them to a level where they will feel this conscious connection with God. This is the leadership quality of Moshe. It's not enough that they do the right thing, but they have to feel and see and experience that relationship, that connection with God in a personal and powerful manner. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about Moshe and how he is told by God for the Jewish people to bring the olive oil, but in actual fact, how he connects them to God. Not only does he want them to fulfill the instructions that come from God, but he wants the Jewish people to have a conscious feeling, connection with God, an awareness of God within themselves. This is due to his leadership. And as we take a look at the parasha, we have to understand. Last week we spoke about building the house for God, building the Mishkan generally, the perimeter, the outer walls, etc., etc., and the Kalim, the vessels that were used within. And as I mentioned earlier on this week's parasha, we speak about the big day kahuna, the clothes that are necessary in order for the kohanim, for the priests, to fulfill their duties while ministering in the house of God. What is the general difference between garments and a home? Interesting, both of them are there, well, to serve man. A person wears clothes for warmth, for protection, whatever, for modesty, for whatever the case might be. A home is there as well. It's a roof over his head. It's walls around. It protects him from the elements. It's a place where he's able to structure his life. A home 
and all its meanings contain so much. But there's a fundamental difference between the two. A person lives in a home. In fact, many people can live in the same home. It could be a huge house, a small house, whatever the case might be. Even though sometimes a person builds a house, a home, to very specific dimensions, a person has an architect come along and design a home according to the specifications of the house that he would like. But nonetheless, a house is larger than the person. A person lives within the house. A number of people, very often a great number of people, can all live in the same house. Garments, on the other hand, are made to measure for the individual. They are made for a specific person. They fit that individual. If a person wears a garment that's too large, well, he'll fall all over the place. A person who wears garments that are too small, well, he won't fit into them. Garments have to be according to the specific size of the individual, otherwise they cannot be considered proper garments. And here we see an interesting development. First of all, you build a house for God. You build an environment. You build a structure. You build a space in which God is comfortable in allowing his presence to be felt. You've done this great job in order to build this house for God. You fulfill the instructions according to the very specific dimensions that were given to Moshe. He passed them on to the artisans. Whatever type of materials had to be used, exact size, everything was done to absolute perfection. This was the house of God. But in order to serve in the house of God, in order to fulfill your purpose within the house of God, not only building a house for God, but you as an individual, as a human being, who has to do whatever he can within the house for God, you need very specific garments, something which is tailor-made to your specific size, to your specific abilities and talents. Each and every one of us, although there might be great similarities between most of us, if not all of us, nonetheless, each and every one of us has a unique personality. We have very specific talents and traits that are unique to ourselves, and we have to understand what are those garments about what, in fact, I have to do with them specifically according to my own ability, to my own strength, and somehow to overcome my own weaknesses as well. If you want to serve in the house of God, you have to have garments, and garments are those elements that are made for me. You have to know yourself. You have to understand who and what you are. You have to understand the particular dimensions of your life, the particular areas of your life. Very often, we don't think about these things as much as we should. We don't consider ourselves. We are overwhelmed or overawed by these magnificent homes that we built for God. Yes, and many of them are quite beautiful, and in fact, so they should be. Not only the temple in Jerusalem, but ultimately every house of God, every shul, must be a place where the very architecture of that structure reflects the desire to bring about a sense of holiness, a sense of greatness into that place. But in order to give it purpose and meaning in the fuller sense of the word, you have to have individuals, people, you and myself, to somehow recognize those unique garments of life that are tailor-made for me. And I have to recognize my talents. I have to recognize my abilities. I have to recognize my own personality and use that specific tailor-made dimension of my life, something which gives me a tremendous purpose, a tremendous sense of uniqueness in order to fulfill, as the Kohen does, as the priest does, 
while ministering in the house of God. And according to Hasidic thinking, what are the garments of the individual? We speak about the priestly garments, of course, the various beautiful garments that the high priest wore. But in actual fact, what are the garments of the individual? These are the three dimensions of thought, speech, and action. All of us think, all of us speak, all of us do things. But then again, our thoughts are very private. Our thoughts are very unique to ourselves. How we speak, how we communicate, how we take those thoughts and we articulate them, communicate them, send them out from within ourselves to others. What we do, what qualities, talents that we possess, the unique skills of doing certain things in a particular sort of way. Thought, speech, and action, they have to be a true reflection of myself, and I myself must be a true reflection of what my nisham is all about, what my soul is all about, what my essence is all about, that I am a creature of God. I was brought by God into this world for a very specific purpose. I was brought by God into this world to do something, and I have to do it in a specific way. I'm not a robot. I have choices. I have all sorts of situations within myself where I have to consider what I'm going to say, how I'm going to think, what I'm going to do, and the way I'm going to do it. Yes, the law might be universal, but the application of the law is very specific according to the individual. The idea might be universal, but how I think about it is very unique, specific to me. And while, of course, the words might be universal, nonetheless, the language, the tone, the words that I use reflect a very real dimension of who and what I am. I have to take my garments, those elements of God that gave me a particular type of personality, I have to take those specific elements and use them correctly as well. It's not enough to have a house for God. It's not enough to stand and be overawed by the magnificence of some of the houses of God. I have to participate. We come to shul. As we come to shul, we have an obligation not only to sit there and look at the beautiful architecture or look at the beautiful shul or look whatever is taking place around me. I have to participate. And there might be hundreds of people in shul, and they're all saying the exact same thing. But when I say it, as when anybody else says it, the fact that I think it, the fact that I say it, the fact that I have the strength, the courage, the wisdom to do something once I've said it, this is unique to me. We can all say the same prayer, but my words are unique, and I have to make that specific contribution in order to ensure that the house of God is fulfilled. Yes, it might be a house of God with a beautiful candelabrum, a magnificent table, uh, altar, an altar on the outside for the animals, on the inside for the incense. It can have the holy of holies which contains the Ark, which contains the Luchot, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. But it's what the Kohen does. The Kohen lights the menorah. The Kohen brings the sacrifice upon the altar. The Kohen prepares the bread and puts it once a week upon the show table, the Shulchan. This is what the garments are all about. The garments specify the individual and powerful dimensions of the individual, and individual does whatever it is necessary in order for the house of God to function properly and through its function be fulfilled properly with purpose, with dignity, and with greatness. And this is what this Parsha is all about. Moshe's name is not mentioned, but the Atat 
Moshe, you have an incredible duty, says God. You have to connect the Jewish people to God. You have to educate them in such a way, not only that they do the right thing, because people can do the right thing in a robotic sort of manner. I do it. I was told to do it. I do it every single day. I go through the motions. I do X, Y, Z. No, you have to teach them how they can use their particular qualities in order that this action and those words, this thought, this idea is something that is done not only with a sense of passion, but individual passion. This individual will say it in a way which is unique to him and each and every one of us in all of creation. And there were hundreds of millions and millions of people. Each and every one has a unique contribution to make. Moshe, this is your duty. By connecting one to God, what does it mean, connecting one to God? Connecting one to God is to reveal the fact that a person's soul is chelikaleka. We speak about this often, is part and parcel of God himself when an individual realizes that he contains within himself the infinity of a soul, of an ishama, that is connected with the essence of God himself. This gives the individual the tremendous insight and power to do things in a particular way which is unique to that individual. And within infinity, within the greatness of numbers beyond any type of measure, you begin to see the uniqueness of the individual. And this is something which is important to understand. And it comes about through the recognition and the manufacture of garments in the proper sort of way. We have to train our mind to think properly. Yes, we all have minds, and our minds are incredible vessels. They are able to do Well, unbelievable things. Constant thinking, through the power of thinking, you're able to take your intelligence, which is contained deep within your neshama, deep within your soul, and to draw out the intelligence to give it structure, to give it meaning, to give it language, to give it words. You begin within your mind to see things, to understand things, and that understanding is not only a sense of intellectual joy, but an actual fact enables you to do what you have to do. The incredible ability of finding the right words to take those thoughts that you've considered and thought about, to take those unique thoughts and to give it not only a language that you understand within the confines of your own brain, within your own head, within your own mind, but to take that language and to convey it to others, to take that language and communicate it to others, to find the words, the structure of words and tone. It's not only, well, learning words, learning to understand, to emphasize vocabulary, vocabulary, etc., 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 elocution. It's not only that. It's far beyond that. It's the ability to take an idea and to condense it into the structure of words that this idea, if it, will, if it is one of value, can now be communicated to others. This is a great gift, but it takes effort. One has to train his thought. You have to train your power of speech. And training your power of speech is not only learning how to say words correctly and properly. It's not, as I said before, lessons in elocution. It's, less, it's a lesson in taking profound thoughts and structuring them in words that now become vessels through which and by which which you're able to communicate to others. And once you communicate these ideas to do something, the mass or the action to do something about it, it's not enough to think and to speak and to communicate. 
After all, yes, we have great intelligence, and the human being is called a madaber, one who communicates, one who speaks, but he's also a creature of action, and that action has to be correct. It has to be something which fits into the house of God, which reflects the holiness, the greatness, the spirituality of the house of God. You do things correctly. You do things in a way which illustrate that your thought and your speech that preceded this action have been tailor-made in such a way that the garments of your life are your personal garments and you have a unique contribution to make. And this comes with the oil, the oil that has to be squeezed. It's not something which comes easy. It's not something which comes automatically. There has to be the squeezing sometimes. And squeezing means a restriction. Squeezing means to go through a situation which is a little bit uncomfortable and difficult. Without this comfort, you won't have any greatness. You can't sit back and imagine that you will think and speak and do things properly in this world. No, there has to be tremendous effort. And effort is something that is often connected with difficulty because you have to do it and do it right and do it again and think it through, etc., etc., etc. And this is what Moshe is able to do. And God tells Moshe, you have the ability as the, well, the perfect leader, you have the ability of connecting people to themselves, to God, and thereby to teach them through the infinity of that knowledge, the essence of the soul and the essence of God. You can teach them their uniqueness, and you can teach them, well, through effort, through dedication, through hard work. You're able to teach them what life is all about. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about last week's Parsha, which speaks about the construction of the actual Mishkan, the building, so to speak, the house of God. And this week we speak about the garments that the priests, the ones who ministered in the temple, had to wear, how it had to be prepared, because the garments, as mentioned before, enabled the individual to fulfill a unique and real purpose in this world and to make sure, to ensure that the house of God is being dealt with, is being, well, ministered to properly and functioning properly. But mentioned earlier on that this is Shabbos Zachor, where we have to remember what Amalek did to us. And the question is, why do we put such emphasis on memory generally? And not only that, but we talk about the absolute need, and this happens on the Shabbos before Purim, to remember what Amalek did to the Jewish people. Now, what Amalek did to the Jewish people is when they were coming out of Egypt, having gone through the miraculous exodus and seen the total destruction of Egypt through the ten plagues, through the ultimate miracle of the splitting of the sea, and the Jewish people are marching with dignity and pride toward Sinai to receive the Torah, only one nation dared to well engage the Jewish people in battle and to try and stop them from receiving proceeding to Sinai to receive the Torah, and that was Amalek. Amalek is the ultimate evil. Amalek represents something which will simply cannot be in any way elevated. Amalek is the essence of that which is wrong. And this is why he knew that if the Jewish people received the Torah, there would be such a powerful energy of God's divine light in this world, that his Amaleks would be diminished. And this is why he tries to stop the Jewish people. And what he does, he goes out against the Jewish people in order to stop them from getting to Sinai. 
And what happens, of course, there's a great battle, and the Jewish people miraculously win that war, and they march to Sinai to receive the Torah. But Amalek was not destroyed at the time. He remains, and this is why he plays a very significant role in Purim as well, Purim, which is this coming... Wednesday night and Thursday, we talk about the great-grandson of Amalek, Haman, whose intention was to annihilate the Jewish people. And in our own generation, we have the Amaleks who time and again, in all sorts of different ways, try to destroy the Jewish people. And this is why we have to remember. We have to remember because if we forget, we can make the great mistake of thinking, well... The world is now a wonderful place, evil has been removed, and the ploys, the, well, the actions of Amalek are no longer a danger. He doesn't lurk behind X, Y, and Z. He is no longer a source of evil or a presence of evil. If we ever forget that Amalek is very real and tries at every single turn in each and every single generation to destroy the Jewish people, we do ourselves a great injustice. And the injustice is that we forget who we are and we forget what others are trying to do to us. Forgetting, well, people can often say, well, happens, you know, you forget. And nobody can remember whatever they said, did, or experienced in life. Well, forgetting is part of it all. Yes, of course, forgetting is part of it all. But there are certain essential things you must never, ever forget. And our sages have, well, pretty strong words about something which is called shikha, forgetting essential things, particularly those elements of Torah that you're obligated to know, something that you've studied, something that you've dedicated time and life to, if you forget those things, the sages have some pretty severe things to say. Because it is important to remember, and the way that we remember, we have to remember on a daily basis, and once or twice a year, there has to be some sort of commemoration on a greater level when this memory comes into being. Memory is so important. You've heard me speak about this often. The idea that memory is that road to your past, a road that's able to bring you back to situations, happy and good situations, and sometimes painful situations. But the fact that a person is able to retain, return to them and to deal with them in a different sort of way, this is an exceptionally precious gift that God gives us. Through memory, we're able to go back, and not only back in time, but back in essence, we're able to recognize depth within ourselves. We go back into ourselves. Going back very often is the most important step in order to go forward. Going back very often is the way that we understand what is the direction of going forward. And we live in a world that has a very short memory. We live in a world where that memory, unfortunately, is, well, it's forgotten. And because of that, we tend to make mistakes again and again and again. And we go through the same situations. And why? Because we forgot. We didn't fulfill the mitzvah of Zachor. We didn't fulfill the mitzvah 
of remembering properly. We didn't fulfill the commandment of remembering what a Amalek does to us. And what does a Amalek do to us? He stops us. He tries to stop us from reaching Sinai. And what is Sinai? Sinai is that great moment in the history of the Jewish people where God comes down and connects on a conscious level with the Jewish people. It is a time that the Jewish people are given the gift of Torah and the Jewish people have the incredible duty and responsibility of living up to all sorts of great things, changing the world for better in all sorts of ways. And this comes about as a result of the fact that we stand at Sinai. And therefore, standing at Sinai is that moment in our experience when we receive huge divine energy, we receive huge divine gifts. But the only way we can do that is by reaching Sinai. And if there are elements within and outside of ourselves that try to stop us from reaching Sinai, if there is the Amalek, and Amalek is not only an external enemy, Amalek can be a blockage within ourselves, it can be a negative feeling within ourselves, it can be a situation of confusion within ourselves, that stops us from getting to Sinai. And this is why we have to remember we have to remember who a Amalek is. And a Amalek is able to appear in all sorts of different types of guises. He is able to appear as our best friend. And we have to understand and remember who is a Amalek. What are his motives? What is he trying to achieve? And how he tries to bring us down. We have to remember who we are, what our purpose is, where we come from, where we're going to. We have to remember these things. And this is why Shabbos Achor becomes such an important Shabbos, a Shabbos that we remember all these things. We go back in time, not only in time chronologically, but time within essence. We go back within ourselves and we see what in fact our purpose is, how we have to get to a particular place, and how there are all sorts of elements that try to stop that journey going forward. And this is why Zachor is so important. And this is why Zachor is something which each and every one of us has to be in shul tomorrow and here. It's a mitzvah which is one of the great mitzvot. And it's very often within this Parsha of Titzaveh, it's within the Parsha that Moshe connects the Jewish people to their essence. And this is a process of memory, going back to where you've come from, going back to your essence, going back to your beginning. But Atta Moshe has the incredible ability. And this is why on the Shabbos before Purim, it's not only a time of intense and great joy, which it is, but equally so, it's a time of great powerful memories where we remember those dimensions of life which are so important. And we do this, as I mentioned before, with the garments, with the garments of the Kohen, the garments of our lives, the garments of our souls. We do something which is unique and particular to us. So this Shabbos, in preparation for all these wonderful things, you have to be in shul to hear that portion being read. And don't forget, this coming Wednesday is the Fast of Esther. Wednesday night, be at the shul of your choice to hear the reading of the Megillah on Thursday morning as well. Thursday is that great, joyous day of sharing, of giving, of hearing the Megillah, of having a festive feel, of doing everything that Purim is famous for. So when you're in shul tomorrow, listen to the story carefully. Listen because you won't hear the name Moshe mentioned, but you will hear the Va'ata and you 
and listen to the Titzaveh. You connect to the Jewish people. You bring them to where they belong. You listen to the story of the garments and try to understand the purpose of each garment, how each one is a powerful instrument through which we recognize our own uniqueness. And when it comes to Maftir and the Haftarah, remember to remember to understand who you are, who Amalek is, and what he's trying to do. It's a special Shabbos. Make the most of it when you're in shul. Do so with greatness. Good Shabbos.